Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning to all of you. We're so glad that you're here. If you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the New Testament to the Gospel of John and chapter number 10. Now, as you have gathered with us today, I want to begin by doing something a little bit different. I do this from time to time. I'd like us to start with a word association where I'm going to say a term, and I want you to just think about what comes to your mind when I say that term. So here's the word. Doors. What comes to your mind when you think of doors? Some people said, well, there used to be a rock group by that name a number of years ago. Uh, Maybe if you're older, when you think about doors, you think about a TV game show called Let's Make a Deal. Remember that show? It's still on, I think, where people come in costumes and the contestants seek to win prizes by certain choices that they make. And of course, the epitome of the show are the three doors. Door number one, door number two, door number three. Which door do you want? You always know there's going to be some sort of a zonk behind one door and maybe an electric mixer for your kitchen behind another door, but behind one of those doors is going to be a new car or a super vacation. Maybe if you're a movie buff and we talk about doors, you think about the movie The Adjustment Bureau, where a group of mysterious men are directing the fate of the actor Matt Damon and And somehow in the movie, they're able to magically transport themselves to different parts of New York City just by going through a door. They go through this door, and suddenly they're over here, and suddenly they're over there. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, hmm, Bruce, I don't know. What what comes to my mind when I think about doors? Maybe you're thinking, how many doors are in the facility that Wildwood has? And I want you to think about that. How many doors? If you had to guess the number, how many doors do you think there would be? And then I will tell you how many there are. Because I spent this last week counting the doors. And the answer is 223. That's how many doors we have in our facility. I'm not talking about cabinet doors. I'm talking about door doors. When we think about doors, many things may come to our minds, but the key question today is, what did Jesus mean when he says in chapter 10 and verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Today, we're really continuing a series of messages we began a number of weeks ago entitled, I Am, Unpacking Who Jesus Is. And in total, we're going to look at seven I am statements of Jesus. And all this takes us back to the beginning of that term I am in Exodus chapter 3. You remember when God is enlisting Moses to help lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, when I go to the people and they ask me, what is your name? What should I say? What should I tell them? And God says, tell them I am sent you. And that little phrase, I am, is translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, ego, ami, E-G-O-E-I-M-I. The ego is I, I, the pronoun I, and the ami is the verb am. Ego, ami, I 
am. Now, there are two significances to the I am statements of Jesus. The first one is this. It is Jesus when he says, ego, me," making a clear claim to be deity, to be the sovereign God, the creator of the universe. Now, if you were just going to say something in the, in the language of the New Testament, like I am thirsty, and you wanted to use the pronoun, you would write it this way, me, ego. The normal word order would be the verb first, and then the subject later. So it would be E-I-M-I-E-G-O. That would be the normal word order. But that's not what Jesus uses. He reverses it, and he uses the phrase, ego, me. He is making a claim to being Yahweh God of the Old Testament. I am, which was the name of God from the Old Testament. Now, we know that's what Jesus was communicating when he said, ego, me, because of the reaction of the scribes and the Pharisees. And often when he would say, ego, me, I am, they would have this irate, infuriated reaction. You could just go later and look at the Gospel of Mark and chapter number 14 and verse 62, and you will see they go nuts when he says, ego, me, because they knew he was claiming to be Yahweh God from the Old Testament. So there's two significances to his I am statements. The first one is the clear claim of deity, but there's a second one that I think is very important. It comes, in essence, from 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, where Peter exhorts us as followers of Jesus, notice this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an exhortation to you and to me that we should be deepening and growing in our knowledge of who Jesus is. And Jesus helps us with that, with these I am statements, because he does not just say, I am, a go, a me, He fills in the blank. And we've seen this before in some of the passages we've looked at, some of the statements we've looked at. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And today he is saying, he's filling in the blank, giving us more insight into a knowledge of him. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Now, I find it fascinating that Jesus chooses simple objects, bread, light, and a door, to explain more in depth who he really is. And so if you have your Bible open to John chapter 10, I want to read verses 7 to 10 and invite you to follow along in your Bible today as I read. Verse 7 says, So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
So as we seek to unpack this statement, I am the door of the sheep, our approach today is going to involve three questions. We're going to ask the questions, and then we're going to answer the questions. So the first question is, what was happening in the context when Jesus made this statement, I am the door? Second question we're going to ask and answer is, what was this door he was talking about? We've already talked about different images of what doors are. What was the door he was talking about? And then the third question we're going to ask and answer is, what is Jesus communicating about himself when he says, I am the door of the sheep? So that's our plan. It's relatively simple. Question number one, what was happening in the context when he said this? Now, if you read chapter 10, you will learn that it mentions sheep, It mentions a shepherd. It mentions what is called a sheep fold. And frequently in Scripture, we see this going back into the Old Testament, there's a picture of God's people as the flock. In Psalm 78, verse 52, it talks about how he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. In Psalm 79, 13, speaks of us, we as your people, the sheep of your pasture. And Psalm 100 verse 3 says, it is he who made us, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. And this is a picture not only in the the Old Testament, but the picture is carried over into the New Testament. In Hebrews 13 and verse 20, it says, Jesus, he's described there as the good shepherd of the sheep. So the context is talking about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds. Look up at verse 1. He says there, truly, truly, I say to you, and by the way, whenever Jesus communicates that, he's saying, I'm giving you the real bottom line of information here. He who does not enter the door into the fold of the sheep, by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, we won't read through all of this, but I want your eyes to go down to verse 8. Jesus says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. What's he talking about? Who's he referring to, those who came before him? Well, all of this is propelling us back into chapter 9. So you might just turn a page over in your Bible and look at chapter 9. What happens in chapter 9 is that Jesus heals a man who had been born blind. In other words, he was blind from birth. He went through all of boyhood blind. He is now an adult, and he was blind, and Jesus heals him from being blind. And the Pharisees, as you know, were not a fan of Jesus, and so they have this man who was claiming that Jesus healed him brought to them. And in chapter 9, in verse 15, they begin to ask him, how did this happen? I mean, how did this Jesus guy supposedly healed you? And he said, well, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed it off, and then I could see. Well, the Pharisees say, well, wait a second. One thing we know, (laughs) this Jesus, he's not from God. Since he's not from God, I don't know how this could have happened. In fact, they're not buying the story at all. So in verse 18, they decide that they are going to call on his parents. 
and find out really what was going on in this whole scenario. So they go to his parents, and up in verse 20, his parents say, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, verse 21, he now sees, but we don't really know what happened. We don't know who opened his eyes. We don't know what occurred. And verse 21, they say to the scribes and the Pharisees, ask him. I mean, he's of age. He's an adult now. He can speak for himself. But then verse 22 adds something very interesting. Notice it says, his parents said this. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, that he would be put out of the synagogue. Now that was big, to be put out of the synagogue. You're put out of the synagogue, you're put out of the kingdom of God. You have no hope of a future with God if you're tossed from the synagogue. They didn't want to get tossed from the synagogue, so they said, hey, go go, go talk to him. He's an adult. He could tell you what happened. And so ultimately, they go back to the man a second time in verses 24 and on down. Uh, They say, hey, we know this man's a sinner here, this Jesus guy. So you tell us what really happened. And I love the man's response in verse 25. He says, whether he's a sinner, I don't really know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. That I have clear, clear in my mind. And then they want to know again, how did he do it? Tell us again how he did this. And he says in verse 27, I have already told you. You want to hear it again? And then they say this sarcastic comment to him in verse 28. You are his disciple, but we, the super spiritual ones, we're disciples of Moses. You're the disciple of the wrong guy here. And he goes on to say, hey, listen, you don't know where he's from, verse 30. And yet... He opened my eyes. What is the the result of all of this interchange? This is what becomes important we want to notice. The end of verse 34. After all this conversation with him and his parents and him again, they put him out. They threw him out of the, the temple, out of the synagogue. You have no place in the kingdom of God. Sorry, pal. We're tossing you on your nose is a consequence of what you've said about Jesus. This is just the Pharisees being those self-appointed doorkeepers of the temple. We're the ones who decide who gets in. We're the ones who make the determination of whether or not anyone's going to be in the family of God. It's up to us. You're out. That's why Jesus got so mad at them. Why he would get so angry with them. You might look at Matthew 23, verse 13. One time, this is what Jesus says to him. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And I'm confronting you over that kind of an attitude. Well, that's what had happened just before he begins to talk about being the door in chapter 10. He talks about there being a sheepfold. He talks about there being a shepherd. And he talks about there being a door. And as he's beginning to explain this imagery, notice what it says in verse 6 of chapter 10. 
this figure of speech that Jesus spoke to them, they didn't really understand what he was talking about. In other words, they just weren't catching it. They weren't getting it. That brings us down then to verse 7, when Jesus says to them again, I'm going to give it to you clear. This is as clear as I can make it. Truly, truly, I say to you, here comes the bottom line of my point. Verse 7, I am a go a me. I am the door of the sheep. And to make sure they don't miss it, he says in verse 9 again, I am the door. And all of that context leads us to our second question we want to ask and answer, and that is, what was this door he was talking about? What was this door? Now, what he is sharing with them in that day, in that culture, would have been common knowledge to them because they understood shepherds, they understood sheep, they understood sheepfolds. But we need to talk about that whole idea of a sheepfold. What was a sheepfold? Fold. Well, a sheepfold was an enclosure that they made for the sheep. They would make walls out of rocks. And often these sheepfolds, if they were more permanent ones, could be as high as 8 to 10 feet in height because they wanted to keep the sheep in and they wanted to keep the predators out. Sometimes they would even take large branches with thorns and they would lay them on the top of the rock walls just to make them more secure. But one thing that was interesting about a sheepfold is a sheepfold always had an opening. It might be more rounded. It might be square in dimension. It would have these rock walls, but there was always one opening where you could enter and exit. And here's what's interesting about that opening, and that is that the shepherd would lay at the opening. This opening was called a door, or I think the NIV translates it, a gate. It really wasn't a door. It really wasn't a gate, but they called it the door because the shepherd was the door. G. Campbell Morgan tells an account of an Old Testament scholar friend of his who visited the Middle East in the early 1900s, and he came across an Arab shepherd. And he started having this conversation with this Arab shepherd back in the early 1900s, And the man showed him the sheepfold into which his sheep were led at night. And it showed that there were these four walls with this way in. And this friend said to the shepherd, that is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. The friend goes, how is that possible? There's no door. And the Arab shepherd said, I am the door. What do you mean? What do you mean when you say that? And the shepherd replied, well, when the light of day has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the the door. Oh, now we're getting an idea of what kind of a door he was talking about. But that leads us to the third question, and that is, what is Jesus communicating about himself when he says, I am the door? And we're going to see three different things, I believe, that Jesus is communicating. The first thing he's communicating when he says, ego, a me, I am the door, is that he is the door of salvation. 
Look at what it says in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. When we go through him as the door of salvation, that's when we receive forgiveness. That's when we come into new life. That's when our destiny changes to a destiny in heaven, right? And this is why he came to the planet, why the Yahweh God of the Old Testament became a man and came to this planet. We know from Isaiah 53, it says he came so that he could be wounded and crushed for our sins, for yours and for mine. It says there in Isaiah 53 that the Lord, that is God the Father, laid on him, that is Jesus, the guilt of us all. Your guilt, my guilt, your sin, my sin, our trespasses, our rebellion, all of that got put on him on that cross. And thus he says, I am the door. If anyone, doesn't make any difference who they are, enters through me, he or she will be saved. By the way, that verb structure there, when it says will be saved, is in what's called the passive voice. That means you don't perform the action, you receive the action. You see, sheep don't rescue themselves. They are dependent on the shepherd to save them. I am the door, he says. And by the way, you'll notice that the door is singular. There's not many doors. And literally, it says in the original, I am the door, singular. Now, a lot of people run around out there in the world. They want to say, oh, there's all kinds of doors. You can go through all kinds of doors. No, that's not what Jesus says. In fact, we're going to talk about that more next week as we look at his I am statement when he says, I am a go a me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll look at that a little more next week. But one thing that Jesus communicates very clearly in the Bible is something I think we don't always think about every single day, but we should be. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, Jesus says this. Think about everybody you know, everybody you work with, everybody you go to school with, Everybody, there's only two destinies for people, Jesus says there. There's the destiny of eternal punishment and the destiny of eternal life. Only two. Good to be reminded of that. And it's not automatic that everyone gets the destiny of eternal life. It's just not an automatic thing. Uh, God just gives it to everybody. No, that's not what it says. It's not something that we get eternal life instead of eternal punishment because we admire Jesus. There's people running around. They go, you know, I, I really like that Jesus guy. He was for the down and outers. He did a lot of good. I kind of admire him. Historically, he's a good guy. Well, admiring Jesus isn't what it takes. It takes Jesus being our only hope, our only hope, for our sins being paid for, our only hope for our sins being forgiven. That's what the cross is all about. And changing our destiny from eternal punishment to eternal life involves a decision. That's part of the problem with a lot of people. 
oh, I kind of like Jesus. I sort of like this spiritual thing. I like people talking about people doing good to people. And, oh, that's a great thing. But I haven't really made any decision to place my destiny on the person of Christ. But here's the thing that's so important to remember. No decision is making a decision. Jesus himself said that in John chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him, speaking really ultimately of himself, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, doesn't put their faith and trust in what Christ did for them, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only son. See, saying, well, I haven't really made a decision yet is to make a decision. So when Jesus says, ego eimi, I am the door, what is he teaching us about himself? Well, first of all, we've learned that he is the door of salvation. Secondly, I believe he's teaching us that he is the door of security. Just think about the whole picture of the sheepfold. And when we're part of the fold, guess who is guarding the sheepfold? The shepherd who is the door. And nothing, think about this in your own life, nothing can come in or out without his permission. And that's part of what our worship team was singing about at the end today. Just to remember that. We are always, when we know him as our shepherd, under his watchful vigil at all times. Now, that does not imply that there's not going to be threats. You know, there's always threats for the sheep. It doesn't mean we're not going to face difficult times, that we're not going to face difficult circumstances. What it means is we are under the watch of the shepherd. See, we need to be reminded this at all times at all times. In 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes, he says, your adversary, the devil, our great enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if we think about that, we can get a little bit scared, start shaking a little bit. But he wants us to remember that we are secure since we're in the fold. And so he goes on to say in the next phrase, even though he's going around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, resist him firm in your faith. Keep your trust in the shepherd. He is there for you. You know, I can speak from my own personal spiritual experience that when you have a sense of your security and your relationship with God, It makes a difference in how you operate in everyday life. You see, I actually was introduced to the shepherd as my savior when I was 11 years old. But I did not really understand the security of my relationship with him until I was like 19 years old. And I remember what it was like when I didn't really know how secure things were. It made a huge difference in how I operate in everyday life. And I so, so remember the time when it finally became clear how secure my relationship was. Tim Morrow tells about the sense of security that impacted the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't know if you knew this or not. It was built in 1970, or rather 1937, 
in San Francisco. Here's what's interesting. At the time, it was built, it cost $77 million, and it was actually constructed in two different stages. During the first stage, the work moved very slowly, and 23 men fell to their death because of the treacherous conditions. And so soon fear spread through the ranks, and the work slowed and slowed until it finally stopped. But he goes on to say, then the construction bosses began to think seriously about safety and security. And a huge net was built below the bridge. It was the largest net ever built, cost a mere $100,000, a drop in the bucket compared to the overall cost of the bridge. But after that net of security was in place, the second phase of the bridge construction began. Ten more laborers fell from the bridge, but each one was saved by the net. Now, what was the impact of that security? Slowly, confidence returned. And the workmen believed that even if they should fall, the safety net would save their lives. And during the second phase of the construction on the bridge, construction moved along at a rate 25% faster than before. You see, when you have a sense of security, it has an impact on how you operate in everyday life. And he goes on to write this. He says, God has provided safety and security, shelter and salvation to the sheep who enter by the door of eternal life. When you go through the door, you receive salvation and security. Sheep felt secure because of the faithful and dependable shepherd. Think about it. Our greatest enemies are sin and death and hell. And when we know the shepherd, we are secure forever from those things. When we were in John chapter 10 before, we looked at chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. I want to look at them again because they underscore our security. Notice he says, Jesus speaking to his sheep, he says, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And I've shared before, there's a construction in the original that could Validate a translation that would say this, I give eternal life to them and they will absolutely never, ever, ever perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, verse 29, who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. When we know the shepherd, we are secure forever. Jesus said, a go, a me, I am the door. I am the door of salvation. Secondly, I am a door of security. And thirdly, I believe he wants us to learn that he is a door of sustenance. Look back again at verse 9 of chapter 10. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And then what? And will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want them to be sustained by abundant life. Now, the prosperity teachers see John 10.10 and they rush right in. There you have it. You have the promise of the abundant life, the promise of perfect health and total prosperity, a promise of abundant possessions and a prestigious house and stellar health and a stack of shekels so high you can't count it. They say that's right there in verse 10. 
But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about depth of life. We're still going to have problems. We're still going to have pain. We're still going to have trouble. In John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here is the promise. The promise is to sustain us in the midst of the pain and the problem and the trouble. The promise is to grant us peace and joy in the midst of those things. The problem is even, which is so mysterious to me, I don't understand it. The promise is to utilize even our pain and our trouble for eternal purposes. Think about it. He gave his life for us, and he gave his life to us. His resources, his provisions are there every day. When he's talking about, in verse 10, abundant life, he's talking about vitality of life. He's talking about depth of life. Uh, I think the New Living Translation says, I have come that they might have life in all its fullness. In other words, he provides joy and peace and grace and purpose despite what life may bring to us. I've shared something with my wife a number of times, and you might think this is a little odd, but I really do believe it. I've told my wife that apart from Christ, we've been married a little while, 45 years. I said, apart from Christ and his resources and grace in my life, sweetheart, I am convinced that I would have been divorced years ago due to my own selfishness. I know my heart. But you see, that's the sustenance that he brings. His presence in my life has brought great depth to my life. It's brought fullness to my life. He says in verse 10, the thief likes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, the door, makes life worth living. Ego a me. I am the door of the sheep, a door of salvation, a door of security, a door of sustenance. So what life response should we have to what we've looked at, to to his statement that he is the door of the sheep? Well, I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, enter the door. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way. That's why we need to enter the door. Remember, there's two destinies. There's the destiny of eternal punishment and the destiny of eternal life. What makes the difference? Well, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, you could put your own name in there, God so loved Bruce that Bruce would not perish, but if Bruce believes, trusts in, counts on what Christ did on the cross, that I might have everlasting life and eternal life. Two destinies eternal punishment, eternal life. And if you've never trusted in Christ's work on your behalf to change your destiny from eternal punishment to eternal life, what, why would you delay that? Why? We're going to have a prayer at the close that might help you to express that to God. So the first life response is to enter the door. The second one is to sign the door. You say, what are you talking about? Well, this goes back to our 50th anniversary. We have a door out there in the gathering hall, and it says above the door, if you entered into new life in Christ during your time at Wildwood, sign the door. And some of the signatures there reflect to entering into new life in Christ 
42 years ago. Some of the signatures on the door reflect entering into new life in Christ this year. If you have not signed the door, would you sign the door? Just a way of saying, again, I've trusted in Christ. And then the third life response is this, rest in the door. Rest in the door. I love the phrase, he is the shepherd and guardian of your souls. When the darkness comes, when the circumstances press in, rest in the door. He offers security. He offers sustenance to you and to me. Even in the midst, he has the grace. He has the peace. He has the resources that we need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus says, I am the door. He's a door of salvation. He is a door that we so desperately need in security, and he is a door of sustenance. And for any who may be listening to my voice who have never yet trusted in Christ, I would pray that they would pray this prayer, that they would pray and say, Jesus, I know that I've sinned against you many times, that they would pray, I'm sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness that they would pray, I believe your death on the cross was to pay for my sin. That they would pray, I believe you are the door of salvation. And that they would pray, I place my trust in you as my savior and shepherd. And they pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 